Hey, good morning, Flourishing Grace. Uh, it's good to be with y'all uh, this morning. For those of you who are new, who are tuning in or listening for the very first time ever, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. Um, just want to say welcome. Thanks for being with us uh, this morning in this weird season of kind of COVID-19 social distancing where we're not gathering here in this building. Uh, most of us are gathering what's called house churches here at Flourishing Grace. We have house churches throughout Davis County uh, that are meeting in people's homes. They are watching this together. Um, they received communion this morning. Um, they, they are going through a liturgy together. They're, there's a house church leader. There's a kids ministry leader in those uh, house churches that have kids. Um, and so for those of you who are not a part of a house church yet, let me encourage you. We are still uh, full on embracing the house church model uh, right now here at Flourishing Grace. And so jump into one of those. We do have a big announcement coming up about uh, kind of the future of our gatherings, but you're going to have to wait until next Sunday for that announcement. Um, we'll, be, we'll be rolling some out some new stuff on that next Sunday, so make sure you tune in uh, here for that. Um, real quick, before we get into the Word this morning, uh, one quick announcement, though. Uh, starting this Wednesday, we talked about it last week, uh, we're starting something brand new this Wednesday. We've never done it before. Uh, we're going to just see how it goes and have some fun with it. Uh, every summer, we've done this thing here at Flourishing Grace called Summer Together. Summer Together. And um, what, what it is, is this idea of, man, what, let's, let's grow in our community, let's grow in our camaraderie, let's find people in our lives that enjoy the same things that we uh, enjoy. And so people here at Flourishing Grace are welcome to kind of create their own little micro events and we go and do these fun things together. However, in this summer of social distancing, right, we're not supposed to be going and doing fun things together. There's no fun allowed this summer, apparently. Uh, but what we're going to do instead is we're going to do a summer of growth, a summer of growth. Rather than summer together, we're going to do grow together. Um, and the, the kind of the, the uh, idea behind this is, is that the, the, the truth is for so many of us, uh, this season of COVID um, quarantine has been marked by a lot of net, Netflix binging, okay, um, copious amounts of Tiger King and who knows what else garbage you've been watching. You know who you are. Like, listen, everybody's laughing right now in, in your little house church um, because you know. You know what I'm talking about. You know it's true. Uh, you've started like 15 new hobbies. Um, your kids are driving you crazy. And you're going to look back on this time and say, man, that was rough. And nothing good really came out of it uh, other than maybe I had some extra time with my kids and a few gray hairs, okay? Um, what would it look like if we looked back on this time and said, wow, that was a transformative time of my life? Like, I'm so thankful that for that crazy season because God did a work in me. And so we're creating the summer of growth. We have five different tracks that you can kind of sign up for. Um, our staff are going to be leading discussions every single week. Uh, there's a reading every single week that you're going to be participating in, a discussion every Wednesday night that you'll join in with a staff team member. Um, and they're going to be leading one of these tracks kind of through these five different uh, ideas. We have one on man, anxiety. There's no question that in this season of social distancing, anxiety has been increasing. For those of you who are trying to homeschool your kids, anxiety is increasing, all right? I know. Um, it's, there's been stress on our marriage. So we have a track on marriage. We have a track on growing in prayer because, man, the church needs more prayer. The world needs more prayer. The, church, the world needs churches that pray, okay? Um, so we have a track on growing in prayer. We have uh, a track on uh, kind of 
looking at our role in the mission of God and, and how we pursue that through David Platt's new book. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and then we have one on spiritual disciplines, which a lot of you guys already signed up for. I mean, how do I make the most of this time by growing in my spiritual disciplines? You can find all of these on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash grow together. Flourishinggrace.org slash grow together. You can sign up for those. Uh, most of you already signed up last week. You already got the book. You're ready to go. For those of you who haven't, Make sure you sign up today. It starts Wednesday, and you need to come prepared to that. And so if you don't sign up today, you're not going to know what the book is. You're not going to know what reading you're supposed to have for Wednesday. You're not going to have it all done. Uh, so you're going to show up unprepared. Uh, so sign up today. You're, the leader will be in touch with you, and we'll get that kicked off this, this Wednesday evening. Those groups will be gathering online, um, and you can get all that information again, flourishinggrace.org slash grow together. Uh, we're going to dive into the Word, but before we do, we're going to receive our offering. Offering here at Flourishing, Flourishing Grace is for those of us who call this place home. Obviously, we're not going to pass a plate this morning or a bucket or whatever. Um, we are, we're, we, all of our giving right now is via uh, uh, our website, flourishinggrace.org slash give, or on our uh, Church Center app, you can give in that way as well. For those of you who have been faithful in your giving during this time of social distancing, I just want to say thank you. A big shout out to you. You have uh, supported our staff in the ministry of Flourishing Grace, and we're going to come back stronger as a result of your faithfulness. And so thank you for those who have continued to give uh, just so faithfully during this time. I'm going to pray for our offering, and we are going to uh, receive that and dive into the word. Let's pray. Father, right now I am missing, I'm just missing our people. I'm, I'm missing seeing their faces as I open the word with them. I'm missing the laughter and the joy that they bring to my life. And so I should lift up a special prayer this morning for those who are um, kind of enduring the same thing, for those who are maybe dealing with some anxiety, those who are dealing with some depression, those who are just missing, missing the people that they love. And I pray that you would bring an end to this sin, that you would reunite us, that you draw us near to each other once, once again, physically, we'd be able to hug and high five and see each other laugh and smile and cry, see each other rejoice in you and delight in your word. Pray that you would bring that to us soon. As we open your word this morning, I pray that you would call us to your presence, that you would give us a hunger for your presence. Confess this week's been a busy one and your presence is, in my life has been pushed to the margins. It has not been sought and prioritized in the way it should. I just confess that before you and before our church to say, man, there is no such thing as a perfect pursuit other than that of Christ. And so, Jesus, we need you now. Teach us, show us, be with us. I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, friends. Hey, let's go. Open up your Bible to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue in this series, uh, we're going to be wrapping it up in just a couple weeks. But we are in a series called In the Presence. And we have been unpacking the presence of God over the past several weeks. And this series, it's, it's important. It's important to um, kind of stay caught up on this series. Um, 
So many of our series here at Flourishing Grace, we're walking through Bible, through books of the Bible or through huge, huge sections of Scripture. We just got out of a, I don't know, what was it, five-month or six-month-long, five-month-long um, series in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and you can kind of jump in and jump out, get caught up on that. This one, is, we've been kind of building this on itself. And so there are some kind of foundational truths that must be agreed upon, understood, and then put into practice for you to kind of take the next step in, in this kind of pursuit of the presence of God. And so just a real quick recap of where we've been. Uh, first week, week one, we talked about um, God's plan for his presence, right? Garden of Eden to the, to the book of Revelation, to the second coming of Christ, new heavens and new earth, right? We see the full-on presence of God with man, right? That's God's plan from the beginning. And the fulfillment of that, right, the full-on restoration of that uh, in, in the new heavens and new earth, God once again dwelling the full presence uh, with, with you and me, with, with humanity, with his people, with his creation. Um, you see God's plan for his presence. Um, and then we also see our need for the presence of God, right? Now, not only is this is what God has for us, I mean, we, we, in order for human beings to flourish, we need the presence of God in our lives. When we look at the world around us and we see the world burning, Right now, um, the presence of God is left. And we have thousands of years of history in ancient Israel that show us, if you just read through First and Second Kings, you see, this, you see this very clear pattern. The presence of God is sought by the people, pursued by the people. Right? The presence of God comes and dwells among the people, whether that's in the tabernacle in the days of Moses, um, in Joshua, or whether it's in the temple in the days of Solomon and the kings. The presence of God comes to dwell among the people, right? and then there's flourishing in the land. There's victory and fruitfulness in the land. And, and, then, and then the people drive out the presence of God, and there's ruin and destruction. Okay? We need the presence of God. And when we see a clear, a clear picture of ruin and destruction, when we see a clear kind of dark hour of the soul, I mean, the presence of God has left the building. And right now, our world needs a church that's hungry for the presence of God. And then we looked into what, what is it that actually drives out the presence of God. And again and again and again in ancient Israel, see this clear pattern. It's the idolatry of the day. When the idols come in, the presence of God goes out. When the idols come in, the presence of God goes out. And we've said, man, the idol of our day, the idol of our day is the idol of self. When we seek to feed the idol of self, right, consumerism is the worship of our day. We, when, we see, when we seek to fill the idol of self and serve the idol of self by consuming, right, more power, more money, more wealth, more fame, more, more identity, uh, a better job, a better career, a better spouse, a better family, whatever it is, whatever it is, when we, when we seek to feed the idol of self, we are driving out the presence of God in our life. And then last week, finally, we said, okay, well, how, how do we actually begin to restore the presence of God in our life? And we said, man, listen, you must rid your life of the idols of our day. You must rid your life of the idol of self and any other idols that may have attached themselves to your heart. There's this hard work of introspection that must be done, okay? Just peeling back the layers of the soul and sifting through and saying, I think this is an idol, and I think this is an idol. But ultimately, what we need is an idol-crushing king. 
And we looked at how Jesus is our idol-crushing king. In the ancient, days of ancient Israel, right, the kings would, t- would pull the idols out of the temple and out of the high places. They would crush them and destroy them and burn them and, and dump them in the brook Kidron. And we see that this is what Jesus does with us and our sin and our idolatry. He crushes it. He reduces it to nothing. We looked at this last week. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to wade into this a little bit more. We're going to go to look at the next layer of this. And so today, I want to speak to those who have actually engaged over the past four weeks. Those who have actually leaned in and done the work. Which I know, I know listen, most of us probably haven't. Most of you probably haven't. And I'm not I'm picking on you. I'm just saying that's just the reality of it. Um, few of you. Have actually, have actually followed along and done the work. You've actually peeled back the, the layers of your soul. You've done this hard work of introspection, this hard work of saying, okay, what are my idols? If Satan's going to attack my life, where are the areas that he is going to poke first? What are the top, kind of top five things that I see myself clinging to and fighting for and giving my time and affection to? Right? You've done the work of introspection. You've laid that before a friend. Or a loved one, you said, here are the things that I see in my life that are idols, and I need your help, I need accountability, I need you to look and say, am I missing anything, right? You've actually had that conversation, and then you've laid them before Christ and said, Jesus, I need you to crush these idols. I need you to rid them, rid my life of them. I need you to rid my life of them. I need you to to remove them, to destroy them, to make them nothing. And I need you to take their place. The simple truth is, for most of us, we're not willing to do that work. And we don't want to watch Jesus destroy our idols. We love them far too much. For those of you who have actually... And the reason I say that, again, I'm not trying to pick on you. What I'm trying to say is you can't go any further. If you say, I'm just not ready for that, at least you know. I mean, the most dangerous place is to be in the place where you say, I'm ready, but you haven't done the work. You, just, you can't go any further. If you say, I'm ready, but you haven't done the work, you haven't done the work of confession and repentance, you haven't laid yourself bare before Christ, you haven't, you haven't worked you can't go any farther in this process. What comes next is for those, of a, for, for those who are ready to d- deny themselves and take up their cross and follow after Christ. And so I want to speak to those this morning. For those who have, it's time to draw near to rediscover intimacy, purpose, in Christ. So let's go. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, if you've got your Bibles, let's go. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 18. That's right. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, right? Not, not 2, 8, 9. I knew that's what you thought. You thought that's where we're going, but we're not. There are other verses in Ephesians that can be preached on. That's what we're going to do this morning. Some of you are like, wait, what, what? What is he talking about right now? Read your Bible. All right, here we go. Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, 
Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Let's just stop there for a second. Here, here's what Paul is saying in, the, in just the kind of these opening, in these opening lines. Here's what he's communicating. He's saying, you who are Gentiles, you're, you're not an Israelite. You're not, you're not Jewish. So that's, that's you and me because you live in Utah. You're probably not Jewish. Um, you who are Gentiles, you were once far off. You were once alienated. You were once strangers, okay, from the people of Israel. Right? So, so here's what he's saying. Everything we've been talking about the past few weeks, all of this presence of God in, in the, the God dwelling among his people, um, in, in the, the tabernacle, through, through the temple, right? God dwelling with his people and the presence of God coming upon him. All of that, all of that, you don't have access to that. You, you, are, you, are, you are far away from that. You're, you are alienated from that. You do not have access to that. E- even though, yes, the people of Israel, right, they, they've, they're over there with the presence of God. They've, and yes, they've jacked it all up. They, they, they have completely destroyed it. They brought their idols in, all of the idols of their day. They brought them in. Even though maybe you can look at that and you can see that. You say, I, think I, can, I can fix that. It doesn't matter. You're not in. You're not invited. You cannot access the presence. And he says, you have no hope without God in the world. God is in the world. He's over there. You're over here. You have no hope. You have no hope. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenants of promises. All of the things that that the presence of God promises us is strange to you. You're a stranger to it. You cannot access it. You cannot tap into it. You can't, because you're not an Israelite. You're not invited in. Look at the next line, verse 13. But... Praise God for that word. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down In his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Here's what Paul says, Jesus, Jesus, but now, now Christ has created 
in himself, a new people, right? Those people over there, they had access, they had presence, they jacked it all up. Christ has come and he has created in himself a new people. No longer those people, no longer these people, a new people. And you are invited into those people. He has brought near. He has invited in so that, listen, so that, listen, so that you might have access to the presence of God. As Paul puts it, for through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. Not only does Christ's death and resurrection crush the idols of our day, not only is our idol-crushing king, he's our access-granting king. Not only is he our idol-crushing king, he's our access-granting king. We see, right? We see God's plan for his presence. We see this plan for his presence in the beginning of time. We see the plan for his presence fulfilled in the end of time. And here, the death and resurrection of Christ, Paul is declaring, here is his plan to restore that presence. This is the plan to restore that presence by the blood of Christ. Um, we have all, over the past, out of lost track of how many months, we've all been living uh, the quarantine life. The quarantine life. Um, now, for some of you, the quarantine life is like joy, okay? Um, you don't have any kids yet, okay? Uh, your job, you still have your job, but you're working, you're working remotely. Mm-hmm. You know who you are. I've seen your Instagram. I've seen your Facebook. You're not working remotely. You're just, you're just on vacation, baby, all right? And, and you're like, quarantine's okay. Let's keep this going. Um, for the rest of us, who are attempting to homeschool our kids while not like absolutely destroying them and ruining them forever, scarring them for life, okay? Uh, for those of us who uh, maybe have lost our jobs or are just barely getting by um, in, in just the most unhealthy state possible, uh, quarantine has been rough, okay? But the truth is, is for some people, quarantine has been actually really, 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 really bad. This whole thing has been really, really bad. For, for some of you, you're like, yeah, it's inconvenient. For some people, it's been absolutely awful. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what, this past week, uh, our dear friend, um, our sweet, sweet friend, and, and if you've been a part of Flourishing Grace, we've been, we've been praying for her for a while. Uh, Miss Pat Zitting uh, went home to be with the Lord. Amen. Pr- praise to his praise and to his glory. She went home to be with the Lord. Um, but the hardest thing in, in like the last just couple weeks has been the fact that um, we, are unable to, we were unable to go see her. We were unable to go sit with her and hold her hand and, and, and pray with her and just read the Bible with her. Um, and she wasn't in a position where she could, she could answer the phone. Um, and so it was just this kind of horrible situation, not only for her, absolutely, for her, far more for her, um, even though she, she had Christ next to her the entire time. And I know Miss Pat, she's like, she's like, it's all right. I'm just going to keep praying for you. She's probably praying for you until the very last breath of her in her lungs. She's praying for you. Um, but for, it was just so hard. It was so hard to not just be able to be with her. Um, and this has been true for so many people who have family members who are in some sort of care facility. Uh, my, my brother-in-law uh, just got moved to uh, South Korea, uh, and he, he's, he's working on, on an army base there, and he has to quarantine for 14 days. And so they've, they have locked him in a room. 
and he gets like a half hour of outdoor time a day uh, in, in these army barracks and in these quarantine for 14 days. Now, in the U.S., that would never fly, but he's in South Korea, and so they're like, whatever, we'll do whatever we want. Um, it's amazing. Uh, for, for some people who have actually gotten this disease, okay, in that instant, in the moment, the moment the doctor says, you're infected, you're removed. You're removed from your family. You're removed from your friends. You are no longer allowed to engage in community. You're no longer allowed to engage in society. The, the moment somebody calls you up on the phone and says, hey, I know I was with you yesterday. I just got diagnosed. You're removed. You're removed from your family. You're removed from your friends. You are forced into isolation. And you can no longer be with them. In the same way, we were, what Paul is saying is we were a people who were once spiritually quarantined. E even in so many ways, the Jews and the Gentiles were spiritually quarantined. We had a disease called the curse of sin. In the beginning, a garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, in the full presence of God, they sin and they rebel against God. And in the moment, in the instant, they are removed, they're quarantined. No longer, no longer can these broken people, marred by the curse of sin, enter into the holy presence of God. So even, even for the nation of Israel, right, there's still separation, right? God is in the holy of holies and they're on the outside. God, God is deep within the temple and they're on the outside. There's separation between the full presence of God and humanity. And for you and I, who are not invited into that, we are way far off. And there was no hope for you or I. There's no hope. There was no hope. But Christ became the cure. On the cross, Christ becomes the cure for our spiritual quarantine. On the cross, Christ becomes the means, becomes the vaccine for us to once again draw near to, have access to the full presence of God. And there is no other vaccine. There is no other way. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Here's what Paul says. Here's the language that he used. He says, he, Jesus, brought us near. We've been brought near by his blood. Only through the cross of Christ. Only by the blood of Christ is there access, is there nearness to God. Only by the blood of Christ is there presence. We've been brought near by the blood. He says, he reconciled, we've been reconciled through, in one body, through the cross. For those who say, man, the cross isn't that important, right? Um, and the resurrection is important, but the cross isn't. Listen, without the cross, there is no cure. It is on the cross that God pours out the full wrath on his son so that it might be absorbed by him and his, and his righteousness might be imputed to us as, our, as the curse of our sin, our disease is imputed unto him and it is killed on the cross. The disease is killed on the cross. Christ becomes our cure. And it is the only cure. It's the only cure for, for so many of us. For so many of you, right now you are giving your life to the pursuit of self. 
I need to get this thing fixed and I need to get this together and if I only if I could only get this job and if I could only get this thing and if I could only do that and if I only had this spouse if I could only meet Mr. Wright if I could only make this much money if I could only get this much in my retirement if only none of those things are the cure for what you and I have none of them none of those things will ever grant you access to the presence of God. And what we've established over the past few weeks is that is the only place where true human flourishing happens. You cannot have flourishing apart from the presence of God. And so then now the flip side of that, okay, you say, okay, yes, I need the presence of God. I need Christ. But the other thing I've been trying to get you to see is this. You cannot come and say, yes, I want Christ and I want these things while you cling to, to your idols Listen, I said the greatest idol of our day is the idol of self, and consumerism is the worship of our day. I want Christ, and I want all these things. I want it all. I want to consume it all. The moment you bring those idols in, the moment God says, no, no, it's not how it works. Yes, in that moment, in the instant, in the instant that Christ came into your life, in the instant that you gave your life to him, you were granted access. But for so many of us, for so many of us, we have been trying to figure out, how do I get in while clinging to these things? We've been frustrated with our faith and frustrated with our spirituality, saying, saying man, I, I know I'm, I, I, the preacher said I was given access by the blood of Christ. Why don't I experience it? Until you're ready to relinquish your grasp on the things of this world and cling to the one thing that is going to bring you true human flourishing, to the one thing that's actually granted you access, to the one actual cure, to Christ you'll never fully experience the presence of God. You can't. It's only through him. It's only by his blood. It's only through his cross. It's only by that that we are brought near, that we are reconciled, that we are granted access to the presence of God. We need the person of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, Paul says this. He says, But when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed, instant, boom, veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. Full presence are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, in that moment, instant, instant, the veil is removed. There's access. There's access. But Christ didn't save you so that you could consume more. He didn't say, come on in and enjoy this and all of that. No. You want to lay hold of the glory of God. You better be ready for transformation. Christ invites you in in order to transform you from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Again, it's going back to this idea Christ has created a new people in himself. A new people in himself. I'm creating a new people in, in myself. And he is the firstborn of many brothers. I'm the first one. I'm the first one. And I'm inviting you to me. Access to me. But why? Why? Well, Paul says, to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be shaped molded, conformed, transformed into the image of Christ. I love how uh, the pastor in Melbourne, Australia, Mark Sayers, puts it in his book, um, Reemerging Church. He says this, when we begin to channel a holy discontent, right? And we've said this over the past few weeks, when, when we begin to say, I see the idols in my life, I see the brokenness of my day, this, this is not okay, I, this needs to be fixed, okay? It is easy to channel it in other directions, all of us can find, thing, find things in our culture or in our church that can fuel a holy discontent. Yet those who come to the end of themselves, who hunger and thirst for God to again move, must first turn their holy discontent upon themselves. Not in self-condemnation, self-hatred, or insecurity, but rather in a courageous act of imagination. We are yet to see humans fully transformed by God and won't till heaven. Therefore, we are limited by a lack of imagination of what we can be in Christ. And we make this lack of imagination authoritative. We must make the decision to no longer tolerate our low level of faith, our dysfunction, and give ourselves over to God's burning desire to make us in Christ-likeness. Only Christ can change us, but we must take the responsibility for choosing to be changed. Love that. I love that. So, so many things in that quote. We are restricted, okay, by our lack of imagination. I love that. See, what Mark Sayers is arguing, what he's saying is this. He says, he says that, that n nobody has ever seen the full transformation of Christ. And we won't until heaven. We've never seen it, right? And so we, our measure for what Christ can do in us is so limited, so small. Maybe you've known somebody who, when they became a follower of Jesus, boom, their life is transformed. Uh, they, were, they were this person, and now they're this person. You're like, wow, it's impressive. That's what Christ can do. No. Because this person is not the full, the fullness of Christ. This person is not the full likeness of Christ. This is not the full glory of Christ. This is, this is awesome. But there's so much more. Christ has granted us access to the presence of God to do so much more than that. And he wants to do it in you. He wants to transform you into the full, into his full likeness. He, he wants to rid your life of the idols of your day. But, but so much more than that. He wants to bring holiness into your life, bring purity into your life, bring the wisdom of the Spirit of God in your life, bring the love of the Spirit into your life, bring the faith of the Spirit into your life, bring the peace and the joy of the Spirit in your life and the self-control of the Spirit in your life. He wants to bring these things into your life and make you and shape you into his likeness. And friends, what I want you to hear this morning is he is the only way to that. 
things of the world promise those things. But he is the only way. And as long as you continue to look to the things of the world rather than to him for that transformation, for this new identity, you will never find it apart from Christ. I love how Brother Lawrence says it in his work. Well, it was a work that was compiled after his death, but this, this book called Practicing the Presence, if you've been around Flourishing Grace, um, you, you've heard us talk about it. Um, Brother Lawrence was this um, French monk who just devoted his life to the presence of God. If you haven't read Practicing the Presence, it's a series of letters that Brother Lawrence writes to a number of different people who write him inquiring, man, I don't understand, how do you do this? Like, how do you experience the presence of God all of the time? He's like, he's like I experience the presence of God as much when I'm washing dishes as when I'm um, before the blessed sacrament, in his ancient words, uh, not mine. Right? I experience the presence of God in the same way. And that's, that's, that's a Catholic monk because saying that the presence of God, they, they would say, I mean, the presence of God is in the sacrament. Like it is the literal body and blood of Christ. He says, yes, yeah, that, yes, but I experience the same presence when I'm washing dishes in the kitchen. I love how he says it. He says this. He says, do not forget him. Right when he's asked, how? How, how? how do you do this? Do not forget him, Christ. Do not forget him. Meditate on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious vocation of a Christian. Friends, until Christ becomes your chief joy, your chief treasure, your chief delight, you'll never experience the fullness of what his presence has to offer you. In the moment, in the instant that you gave your life to him, you're granted access. If you want to take advantage of that access, you must choose to be transformed into his likeness. That's the purpose. That's the point of the access that you've been given, that you might experience the fullness of God. For those of you who have not given your life to Christ, you, who are, the, you are the person that Paul was talking about earlier. There's no hope for you. There's no access. So have you laid your life before him? Have you given everything up for him? So Christ is all, and I want to give my life to him. Let's pursue that. Let's pursue him together in community. Let's become a people who pursue the likeness of Christ, that we'd be transformed into his likeness, not into the likeness of somebody who's famous or rich or powerful, somebody who has it all together, somebody who's got the best social media account, best identity. No, let's pursue the likeness of Christ. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and for so many of us, we are still clinging to things, still clinging to the idols of this world. We want access in idolatry. We want presence in our own power. I pray this morning that you would help us to see that the only way to access the full presence of God is you and you alone. And so might we release the things of this world and grasp onto you. Might we become a people who look to you constantly, all day, every day, seeking the presence of Christ, that we look to you often, meditate on you often, give ourselves to you often, 
as much as we possibly can at every turn and at every moment we would, that you would be on our mind and on our mouth and on our lips and in our heart. Help us to grow in our awareness of you that we might grow in your presence. Praisings in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Flourishing grace. I love you. We'll see you next week.